Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 43. There we find God's words summarized as follows. What is required in the ninth commandment? I must not give false testimony against anyone. Twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works under under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. After the sermon, we will sing together from Psalm 119, stanza 8 and 66. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, this afternoon we have come to the ninth commandment. Before I get into the actual commandment, I want to remind you of something very important. Namely, that now we are dealing with the third section of the Heidelberg Catechism, our thankfulness. And so our obedience is a matter of thankfulness. Thankfulness for what God has done. What is the most wonderful thing that God has done? Let me tell you. He has redeemed you and me from our sins through the blood of his Son, Jesus Christ. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we may have eternal life. That is what we may show our thankfulness for. I want to mention this from the very start because of the horrible reality of our sin against this commandment. For if there is one commandment of which we are all guilty, it is this one. And if there is one commandment that does a lot of damage, it is this commandment. The lie is alive and well also within our circles. You and I are guilty. But as we could see from the reading of the scripture passages, lying is the work of the devil. If we let him, he has us do a lot of harm by inciting us to sin with our tongues. And he knows it. For that reason, brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, I want you to listen very carefully once again to the preaching this afternoon. We pray, as we know from Ephesians 6, that we must put on the armor of God. And that armor is the word of God. It is only with that armor that we can withstand the darts of the evil one. For as Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Speaking here about Satan. In Revelation 13, Satan is described as a beast that rises out of the sea, and he is all mouth. 
with which he utters blasphemous words against God, against his name, and against all those who dwell in heaven. That is the game of Satan. That is what he loves. And that was his game from the very start. The first time we hear him open his mouth, his blasphemous mouth is in paradise. And he begins with a lie. He tells Eve that she will be like God if she does what she wants to do rather than what God wants her to do. And that is the lie that Satan also wants us to buy into. But we have to keep in mind always, and that is also the theme for this afternoon's sermon, that lying is the work of the devil. And that is why we must, in the first place, hate the lie, and in the second place, love the truth. When God created man, he created him different from the animals. The most important difference is that man was created in order to be able to communicate. Language is essential for meaningful contact with each other as human beings. It is through language also that God communicates with us. And that is why God's word is so precious to us. It is the only way that we can have fellowship with him. God's word was also very precious to Adam. God God told him exactly how he related to his creator and how he relates to his creation. God spoke to him and told him how special he is and that he made him even the crown of his creation, that he made a covenant with him. Because of the ability to communicate with him, God could let his will be known as well. God continually spoke to Adam and Eve and spoke with them. Man was never meant to live in isolation. But God did not only create man to have constant communion with him, he also created man to be able to have communication with one another. When Adam was in paradise, he was first without a partner. And he was lonely. He needed to have someone to have fellowship with. The most important part of fellowship with one another is through language. For that reason, God created out of his ribs the woman. And now they could have communion, they could have fellowship, they could have union with one another. They could speak with each other about everything under the sun. They could make plans together, they could enjoy creation together, and they could speak to each other about their relationship with the Lord God and about their relationship with one another. All that was possible through communication, through the beautiful gift of language. Communication through language is still, even after the fall into sin, the most important part of our fellowship with each other. Through language, we make certain promises to each other. We give each other advice. We we encourage one another. We give expression to our feelings. When we are cut off from human contact for some time, then we become lonely. The silence can become deafening. And the pain because of the loss of contact with another human being, intense. We need to connect. And so, what a great damage is done when that communication is no longer possible. We think that the Ninth Commandment has to do with dealing 
with dealing with the truth. And that's true, of course. However, if you think that that is what it is all about, then you are wrong. For it, can, it concerns something much greater, much deeper. As we saw, the ninth commandment has us deal with relationships. When you no longer can trust the word of a person, then communication with such a person becomes impossible. Fellowship breaks down. We have to be able to trust one another. We must be able to trust one another's words. And now look at the damage the lie does as described in Psalm 12. It speaks there about those who utter lies to their fellow man. In the first place, it says that they do so with flattering lips. That's also what Satan did in paradise. He flattered Adam and Eve. He said to them that they would be like God. In other words, they would be so great that they, like God, would be the object of worship. All creatures in heaven on earth and on earth would bow down before them and serve to praise them. That is what he was implying with the false statement that he made. Why did Satan say this? Did he do this because he had their well-being in mind? You and I know better. We know why he said this. He said this in order to further his own cause, for his own benefit. He wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to increase his own kingdom. And in order to accomplish that, he deliberately painted a false picture for Adam and Eve, knowing that, we do, that they would be enticed and fooled by it. And Adam and Eve believed what they wanted to believe. They chose to ignore the truth as God gave it to them. What Satan, Satan wanted was an ally in his great evil over against God. And for that reason, he did not let his true intentions be known. And by withholding the truth and by painting a false picture, he did an enormous amount of damage. He accomplished exactly what he wanted, namely the complete breakdown of communication between God and man and between man and man. Now then, the same thing is done in our relationship with one another. And those, there are those who flatter us with their tongues. They say nice things to you to your, in your face. Sometimes people do that because they really care and they want to build you up. They do it for good reason. But often it happens that people do it for wrong reasons. They do it in order to gain advantage over you. They want something from you. To flatter someone is very selfish. It is a self-serving act. Yet often we do fall for it, don't we? We fall for it especially when we are somewhat vain and in love with ourselves. Or when we are insecure, then we will easily lap it up and fall for the trap. It says in Psalm 12 that those who flatter with their lips speak with deception. Other translations state that they speak with a double heart. That's what it says in the original. So the liar has two hearts. The one heart reflects what he truly thinks. The other heart reflects the words that are spoken. And there you see the duplicity of deceitful man. Compare that to God. We confess that God is simple. That is to say there is no duplicity in him. His word is simply his word. God speaks what is in his heart. 
You do not have to read anything behind it. He does not leave you guessing. You know exactly where you stand with God. Just read his word. But that is not the way it is with man. Man, in accordance with his own sinful nature, is deceitful. And he has, as it says in verse 3, a boastful tongue. That means that he is a braggart. He gives an inflated image of himself, embellishing his strengths while ignoring his weaknesses. Again, he does that in order to fool someone else. He does not want to give a true picture of who he really is. And so he misrepresents himself. He misrepresents what he stands for. He does not want others to find out what he is truly like. For he's a fraud. The Lord God wants us to be true to his word. That we speak the truth. Come to the second point. You may not speak with a double heart, or as the natives would say it, with a forked tongue. And so note the depth of this commandment from the wording of the commandment itself. The commandment does not state, you shall not lie. No, it says, you shall not give false testimony. When we speak of giving a false testimony, we think especially of a court of law. Indeed, that is also what the Lord God has in mind with his commandment. And therefore, in order to grasp this better, we must understand the system of justice the way it was during the time of the Bible, especially the Old Testament. Nowadays, we do not have too much direct contact with the judicial system. For justice is carried out in a large stone building in town or in the big city. It is done out of sight behind closed doors. The man in the street does not have any meaningful contact with the judges and the advocates. Many of us have never even been inside a courtroom. But during the Old Testament in Israel, justice was carried out in the gate for everyone to see. Every day the people would go in and out of the gate and see justice being carried out. The judges were the elders of the land, and they would sit in the gates to make judgment about all kinds of matters, civil matters and criminal matters. It was a very visible process. And the Lord God gave some very specific instructions as to how justice was to be meted out. No one could be convicted, for example, on the witness of only one person. At least two witnesses had to come forward. And their stories had to match. There could be no discrepancies. For that reason, those witnesses would be extensively questioned by the elders in the gate. In Israel, the witness also had an additional and more important function than he does today. For he was also responsible for the justice actually being carried out. If someone was to be sentenced to death, the witness on whose testimony the man was convicted would have to be the first one to cast the stone. Now you can see the importance of this commandment. You can see within such a setting how much damage a false witness can do. A false witness can cost you your life. Think about Naboth. The man was totally innocent, yet Jezebel incited two false witnesses to accuse him. As a result, Naboth was put to death and his vineyard was appropriated by King Ahab. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The gospel account tells us about the false witnesses that came forward in order to accuse him. It was because of these false witnesses that the Lord Jesus was crucified. And now what about today? As I said, it is not too often that we have to do with a court of law, but we do have a lot to do with each other. And the catechism is very sharp in the way that it pays attention to the way this commandment ought to function in our lives. It speaks about our propensity, our tendency to twist someone else's words to gossip and slander and to condemn or join in condemning someone rashly and unheard. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, if there's one thing we all engage in a lot in our lives, it is gossip and slander. We delight in it. It's true that one person does it more than the other, but here again, there is not a person among us who is not guilty. We all readily open our ears to any delicious morsel of gossip about someone else. We do not have too much difficulty about hearing about the troubles of another person, especially if it is about somebody whom we don't like or don't care about. That's also what it says in Proverbs 18, verse 8, and 26, verse 22. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Gossip, brothers and sisters, and the listening to gossip breaks down the fellowship, the communion in church. For it makes you have a distorted and false picture of your brother or sister. It creates barriers. And so we have to be very careful in the way that we conduct ourselves. Think about the ways in which you and I personally sin against this commandment. Don't think about others. Think about yourself. Examine yourself. And do more than that. Also do something about it. It's very hard. For it is a habit which is very much ingrained and hard to break. It is very hard for us to carry on a conversation without saying something negative or unflattering about other people. Try it. When you come home today after the church service, make a conscious effort not to make any negative remark about another person. And keep that up for the rest of the day. And not just for the rest of today, but also for the rest of the week. Practice it in the workplace and in the home and in all your get-togethers. It's important. Take it a week at a time. For the rest of this week, you are not allowed to say anything about another person that is not edifying. And check up on each other. Make yourselves accountable to each other. That's the only way that you will be able to break this bad habit. Ask the Lord for help. Live according to the instruction that is given to you in our catechism, namely that you will defend and promote your neighbor's honor and reputation, for you love the truth. The proof text that the catechism gives for this instruction is from 1 Peter 3, verse 8. It says there, Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, 
Love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. And that is how we are supposed to conduct ourselves all the days of our lives. That doesn't mean that you can't talk about others or about their weaknesses, but only if you do it with a genuine concern, if you do it so that you can help. There's a great difference between those whom you mean to harm and those whom you do not mean to harm. The difference between a gossip and a concerned friend is like the difference between a butcher and a surgeon. Both cut the meat, but for different reasons. The surgeon cuts in order to heal, but the butcher cuts in order to kill and break apart. The Catechism also tells us that we must not condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. That's another thing that we do frequently. You hear something and you believe it as the gospel truth. You have not heard the other side of the story, but it sounds reasonable to you. And you think to yourself, well, that sounds exactly like that person. I know that that is exactly the way he or she would act. And it is no wonder that he or she is like that, for look at the family that he comes from. A gossiper usually knows where to take his garbage. Make sure that your ears are not someone else's garbage cans. Gossip and slander do a lot of damage in the church. There are those who by nature are quite negative about others and about the people of the church. Negativity breeds contempt. And that is especially dangerous if you do that within your families. If you are critical always of other people, of the church, the people in the church, of the elders, of the minister, not that they are beyond reproach. No, not at all. But if they need to be set straight, you have to do that in a loving way, in the way of Matthew 18. If your children hear nothing but critical remarks about the leadership and about the people of the church, then you will not create a love for God's people within them, and then you will give them a built-in excuse no longer to come to church. After all, there are a lot of bad people in church. Why should I come to such a church? And so, fathers and mothers, be very careful about how you speak to your children about others. Teach them how to do things properly and how to look, first of all, at their own sinfulness. Model that. Be humble. Show that you are just as great a sinner as everybody else. It is so easy to see the splinter, as the Lord Jesus says, in someone else's eyes, but it is hard to see the great beam that is in your own eyes. Teach your children to be humble and loving in the way that they think about others and in the way that they think about their own sins. Teach them to be thankful for the forgiveness of sins. In Matthew 18, the verses 15 through 17, the Lord Jesus states that every word must be confirmed by the witnesses by the evidence of two or three witnesses, just like in the Old Testament. And in 1 Timothy 5, verse 19, it says, Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. And so those Old Testament principles, they still apply. 
Why do we have such difficulty applying that very simple rule? Why is it that we would much rather talk about someone else, uh, about someone else, rather than speaking to that person? Why are we so reluctant? Well, in the first place, because we do not like to be put in, into such a position. We do not like to do these things personally, for that's hard. For it may be that that person will also become angry with us, or that person will no longer like us. We want to be liked by everybody. It takes a lot of tact in order to give someone insight into his behavior. And so we'd rather leave that up to someone else, or we would rather just talk about someone else. In the second place, there may be sins in our own lives that we do not want to deal with and which we do not want others to point out to us. For that reason, we will ignore the sins of others as well. It's better to talk about others than our own sins do not seem so bad. For then we draw the attention away from us and put it on someone else. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, I do, not want to, I do not want you to underestimate the seriousness of sin against this commandment. The Catechism says, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own work under the penalty of God's heavy wrath. It cites as proof text in Revelation 21, verse 8, where it says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. That's a very dire warning, isn't it? And so we should consider ourselves warned. Fight your tendency to continually sin against this commandment. Resist the devil. And when you do sin, as you will, then ask the Lord for forgiveness. Break this bad habit. Keep fighting against your sins. But also remember, as I said at the beginning of this sermon, this commandment is dealt with as part of our thankfulness. And that means that also Christ has fulfilled this commandment for us. He is the truth. And if we are in him, then we are also in the truth. Let us also show in our lives that we are indeed children of the truth. That we hate gossip. That we hate slander. That we hate the twisting of another person's words and the rash condemnation of anyone. Only if we do that can we remain in true fellowship with each other and what is most important with the Lord God. We must live out of thankfulness. Thankfulness for what? For the fact that God has forgiven us. He does not want us to live in our sins. And now the same must be true for us in our relationship with others. We should no, want, no longer want others to live in their sins either. And so we help them. We remind them of God's forgiveness, and we are gracious and kind and humble. In this way, we build relationships rather than tear them down. In this way, we are given life, life in communion with each other, life in communion with God. And our life with God, in this way, will continue forever and ever. That's the promise that God makes. And God is the God of truth, and therefore we too 
are children of the truth. Amen.